Hello, I'm Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this is The Constructor Podcast, session number 30. Hello, and welcome to or welcome back to Constructor, the best way to build it. This episode features Randy Hall, who is president and CEO of Batson Cook General Contracting Firm out of Georgia. Randy guides the company's future as he carries the ultimate responsibility for the firm's strategic planning, business development, pre-construction services, and construction operations. I really enjoyed speaking with Randy as he leads with a sense of uplifting his employees by giving them what they want and need, enabling them to achieve company success while pursuing their goals, pushing the company forward with innovation. He talks about his tenure as AGC president over the Georgia chapter and how diversity and inclusion awareness is a sure way to pushing the industry forward. And with that, let us get into the interview with Randy Hall. Good morning, Randy. Welcome to the Constructor Podcast. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing well. I hope you are. Oh, yes, I am. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Uh, well, I do want to let our audience know how I've met you. Um, I was introduced to you by Brent Darnell, and it was because he has such an admiration for you on how you're impacting your environment and uplifting those around you. Um, so, you just so happen to be the president and a CEO of Batson Cook as well, um, but just the way that you touch people and reach people, I had to reach out to you. I couldn't not. And it's been, it took, took us a little while to get here. Um, but I'm happy that we've had the opportunity to, to get on the call today. Excellent. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real fan of Brent Darnell. I think he's a rock star for our industry. I've known Brent for, oh gosh, 30 years. Uh, I knew him before he uh, before he got in the business of, of leadership training and emotional intelligence for contractors, uh, I knew him back when he was in the construction business. So uh, he's a he's a really really good guy. Oh yes, he is. He's a good guy. And if you guys haven't heard uh, the podcast where I did an interview with Brent, you can find that at constructrr.com slash zero six. So check that out there. So, Randy, I want to get to know a little bit more about you um, and your perspective on leadership. Um, because you you impact so many people, I'd venture to call it service-based. Um, so what is your perspective on, on service-based leadership? You know, I, I don't know that I would necessarily say that I follow a service or servant-based leadership profile. Uh, I, d I do believe that people should be empowered with the tools to do uh, their jobs, uh, to do them well and have the autonomy and authority to, to get things done. Um, I believe people should work to their strengths, including me, by the way, and, and, and focus on surrounding themselves with people that are strong in the areas that they are not necessarily strong. Um, so I, I, if you put that in the category of servant-based leadership, uh, I think it's really important that the people um, that 
that you lead trust you. So genuine care for people is is critical to good leadership. Um, so if that if that falls into the category of servant-based leadership, then then maybe I do follow that pro- profile. But those are those are my thoughts. <laughs> no, I, I love that, and it's it's a uh, I like your response because you you mentioned the strengths. Um, you think that people should play to their strengths, and and just before we hopped on the call, we we talked a little bit about the strengths-based leadership. Is that how it goes? The the strengths-based leader book. Yes. Um, and I and I think that's hugely important when um, you know you know you have a goal to carry out, and you have to rally people right you have to be able to speak to people based upon their interests and based upon how they feel they can fit um, and it sounds like that's what you do but you also have genuine care which is another integral layer so I really like that response well thank you <laughs> I agree with that we actually I think it's important to know your strengths uh, I think it's equally as important to know the strengths of the, of the folks that you surround yourself with. And, uh, and I think it's important to have a good mixture of strengths. Our, our uh, COO, by the way, is more of an executor uh, in his strengths profile. And mine fall more into the strategic thinking category. And I think the two of those make for a pretty good combination, as opposed to if we were both strong in execution or, or strategic thinking. So I, I, think it, I, think, I think it's good to know uh, not only your own, but those around you, uh, their strengths. So, well, knowing that, I'm curious as to how that, the leadership that the two of you or, or any of the um, executive leadership carries, carries that through the organization. Well, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're still a work in progress, very much like like most companies. We we created a program a couple of years back at Batson Cook uh, that is, that is labeled the Empowered Performance Handbook, and it's loosely based on the book uh, called the Leadership Pipeline. Uh, and and the handbook basically basically breaks down each role in our company and emphasizes the standards for best in class behavior and goal setting for performance and uh, our employees gathered together over the course of a year and they they identified uh, our core competencies or at least the most important core competencies that that we thought would support our uh, culture they were time management customer focus authentic communication ethics and integrity planning and organizing work and team building and so those six core competencies um, are basically uh, defined by a role um, in this Empowered Performance Handbook. And we, we've got a lot of room uh, to improve, no doubt, but that is the makings of, of, uh, of, of advancing uh, a good leadership program that'll, that'll I guess, in theory, uh, create leaders that will move through the pipeline up, up through the company. How does that impact your recruitment? Just curious. <laughs> well, you know, uh, of course, it's a good tool to show, and uh, especially the generation that's coming uh, in now really 
almost demands seeing a career path, uh, much more so than my generation did. Um, recruiting and retaining employees, I think everyone listening today would agree is more difficult now than ever, in part because our industry is really, really busy, uh, and in part because the new generation of workforce um, uh, requires a, a commitment from the business to earn their loyalty. There was a time when, when I came into the business, you were just automatically loyal to your company, and the new generation uh, expects some more commitment on the part of the employer. And so I think the Employee Empowered Performance Handbook is one tool uh, to show commitment, um, and, and I think it supports our, our recruiting and, and retaining of employees. Yeah, and, and I would completely agree with that. This day and age, millennials, there's a different mindset, hands down. <laughs> so I, I really like that idea. Um, and, and putting that together in a structured manner so that people have an expectation, um, it's truly invaluable. Um, so how do you think that may impact the, the performance then of, of <laughs> yeah, the, the people that are working with you? Well, see, our, so our program uh, uh, includes uh, uh, more collaborative engagement between the supervisor and the employee, and, and uh, goals are established through the process if it's done properly, and, and so <clears throat> there are goals that are created uh, in large part by the employee. So, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think it's a good program. I, I won't say that we've got it mastered. I think we have a lot of room for improvement. We're tweaking it as we go. We, uh, for example, uh, we began the first year under the program with uh, yearly evaluation, not unlike most companies, and we have found that our folks want a more continuous feedback program. They don't want to wait until the year's out to have a discussion about performance and growth. Uh, they, uh, they want more uh, continuous feedback. So we're, we're amending that to, I think we're going to call it quarterly huddles uh, so, that, <clears throat> so that we have more informal uh, discussions around goals and progression along the, uh, the leadership pipeline or the career path. So, you know, I've spent a lot of time studying our millennials. Uh, a third, a little more, a third, you know, 35% of the people that work for our company fit into that millennial age bracket. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time thinking about the differences. And at first glance, you would say they are way different. But after, after spending the last six or eight months looking at uh, this upcoming generation, I, I'm not sure they're a whole lot different take the technology factor and put it off to the side. I think, I think this generation wants pretty much the same things that, that all generation wants. Uh, want. They, uh, they want continuous feedback. They want to know how they're, how they're doing. Well, I, you know, I want that. Uh, they want a healthy balance between work and life. Um, and you know what? I'd like that too. Uh, mm -hmm. They want to be heard. Uh, they want to be they, they want to. They want to have a voice. Well, I think most people, most people like for their leaders to listen. Uh, so, I'm not ready to say that they're so dramatically different than the generations before them, uh, until you introduce the technology factor. And 
and the technology piece, uh, information uh, is at the fingertips of the new generation, and I think that is a difference maker, and I think we need to adjust our leadership styles based on technology. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I think this generation is hardworking, and and uh, I don't subscribe to the to the theory that they are uh, at least the ones that work for us uh, or that work in the construction industry. I don't think they're uh, necessarily uh, lazy or or uh, or <clears throat> or have poor work ethics. In fact, just the opposite. I think they they want to succeed like like every generation before them. That's a, I'm not sure that's the answer. I think I jumped off onto another topic, but <laughs> that <laughs> no, was but on my a, mind. That's a beautiful segue, though, because I was going to ask you about how technology now integrates into some of the goals. Well, it, it could be individual goals um, of, of, you know, your employees. And I'm, I'm curious as to a, an, a more broader overarching um, goal as a company how how does technology and or collaboration uh, I, I like that you mentioned that um, shorter feedback loop um, how does how does that integrate into the culture of the company well uh, so so my job as a leader of our company is to build a bridge between uh, the generation coming up I mentioned I think 35% of our of our folks fit into that millennial category and in two years from now we think it'll be as much as 50% so so it's very important to build a bridge between the uh, the two generations or, or three generations if you will um, so uh, so what are we doing on the technology front I mean we we've have a we have a director of field technology and we're doing uh, most of the things that the industry is doing with, with drones and, uh, and modeling, uh, and we're using you know, iPads in the field to carry our drawings around. Uh, we're studying modularization. That is, uh, that is, I think, one of the solutions to, uh, to the workforce, just the, just the numbers of people that we need to do our business. And, and so all of those things that the new generation uh, is very supportive of and very interested in. So, so I think it's important to engage, uh, and engage the newer generation. You know, I was telling someone the other day. I remember one of the first jobs that I was on uh, included uh, deep uh, caisson foundations, and I didn't know what a caisson was. <clears throat> and, and I remember there was a book that I could refer to, so I believe it was called The Walker Manual, and you could look up and you could see little diagrams of a caisson, but unless you had been on a job that included or had caissons, you really didn't know what a caisson was. And I was saying this to our millennial, our millennial meeting the other day, and, and almost, almost as I was saying it, I saw a couple of them with their phones, uh, and they were looking at a video of a installation of a caisson. And so before I could even say what I was trying to say, the group in front of me had a good picture and a and and maybe not a maybe not a thorough understanding, but a fundamental understanding of what a caisson was. And I and there therein lies uh, probably the difference in the two generations. The the time it takes 
uh, to get information for this generation compared to the time it took to get information for the generations that came before them are dramatically different. So, <clears throat> so it's it's important that we use that uh, because that's a, that's a good thing that if we use it properly. Well, so so I think it's important that leadership includes some uh, of the younger generation in the conversation because you may get to the answer quicker than you would otherwise. Absolutely. Um... I think I've had this conversation so many times. Just given that I fall in the millennial category, um, I have this conversation quite often. And, um, you know, I love talking about the differences between generations. And uh, what what I think is important, though, I can, I can talk all day, I should say, about that. But what I think is important is to grasp that there's knowledge all around us. And it's that collaboration that's going to, the collaboration between the generations and utilizing the information that's at hand, um, whatever it is, digging into it, learning together, that's really going to push the limit, if you will. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I think the millennial generation uh, wants what most of us want. They want to do an excellent job and they want to be respected for their contribution. And that. I think it's as simple as that. It's only, only uh, uh, many, many generations of, uh, of construction uh, company leadership uh, has, has said that until you're 45 or 50 years old, you really can't contribute. And I think technology and the generation coming up now uh, paints a different picture. So, so tell me, what do you think a millennial should do to be prepared for the next 20 years? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I have found uh, that, that on the one hand, uh, the millennial generation is, is um, a really independent group, uh, but they are, they are hungry for knowledge. They just, they are, they are hungry for knowledge. So I... You know, my advice would be to to hang on to that hunger because there there are a lot of folks that are that are in this business that will be working their way out over the next 20 years that have really good practical fundamental uh, experience. So uh, find a mentor. Um, in fact, I ask our millennials in our company, uh, how, how do you feel about mentorship? And, and I actually ask them to close your eyes and tell me if you can. You have a picture of a mentor at our company uh, in your mind. And when I say the word mentor, they all did. And I said, how would you feel if I assigned you a mentor? If I just said, I think this one fits you. And they said, oh, no, no we don't want that. We want the freedom to find our own mentor. But, but we really think that's important to have someone that we can lean on and gather more information from and talk through uh, the, the things that we're going through. So, so I would I would say stay hungry for knowledge. Don't lose that hunger, and find a mentor who's uh, been around for a while and latch on to that person and uh, and grab all the knowledge that you can. Um, I really appreciate that you didn't talk about specific technology, <laughs> um, and you talked more about the relational 
um, side of things because that that's something that we forget to latch on because we have so much information available to us at our fingertips. Um, so I, I, I love that you responded that way. Um, I do not want to neglect that question, though. Um, you mentioned that you think you're doing similar things to what many other companies are doing um, with utilizing drones. And I guess, are there any trends in the industry um, that you think we should be paying attention to in the near future? You know, I, I can't tell you what uh, how technology is going to disrupt our our business in the uh, in the next five to ten years, but but I can assure you that our industry will be disrupted. I uh, I think the use of, of drones and modeling uh, are going to allow us to you know introduce you know, for 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 many many years the construction industry has been the largest employer of people, and and there have been an abundance of people who are interested in doing what we do. Uh, Today, there are more people leaving the industry than coming in. So, um, so at, at Belong, our company, are big supporters of the Associated General Contractors, and we're working to solve that problem. But part of the solution is going to be technology. I'm convinced of it. I think there'll be uh, robotic uh, uh, solutions uh, that <clears throat> that will, uh, in some cases, take the place of the workforce uh, that is not there. Uh, of course, you, if you follow technology, you see robots uh, uh, laying brick. You see certainly robots uh, 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 laying out buildings uh, the way uh, and, and <coughs> taking the place of the old chain and measuring tape that we used to use. So I think, uh, I think to some degree, um, people will begin to figure out uh, how to how to do things that we've always done by hand uh, using a more robotic approach. Uh, I don't know that there's one, you know, there's 3D printing of different components of buildings, uh, and some contractors are really uh, researching and developing those, um, you know, those uh, technology advancements. Uh, so, I, you know, as, as Batson Cook, we're, we have not ever been on the real bleeding edge of, of of technology, we've we've kind of hung in there and and uh, and watched technology, um, and then and then bought in uh, as we as we felt like it would it had been proven and would enhance our uh, our, our our ability to do our jobs. Uh, I do I do think modularization uh, because the models that we build virtually uh, allow us to work with tighter tolerances. Um, I believe that we, we will begin to build more components of buildings uh, in controlled environments uh, and then bring them to job sites and put them together. Uh, so I, I think that is an area that, that at least our company is beginning to pay more attention to, uh, especially on the healthcare side. I was on a job site just yesterday down in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, and I saw uh, racks of mechanical equipment uh, that Build the corridor ceilings that had been assembled in controlled environments, brought to the job site, and then hoisted up uh, and put in place. Uh, there's labor savings and safety savings. Uh, uh, tolerances were used or maximized. So 
Uh, well, I, I can't tell you what specific technology is going to take over our industry, but I think modeling and um, and being able to um, to see and build things virtually before uh, you know before we get to the job site is 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 definitely uh, here to stay. Yeah. Um. trying to remember what number of podcasts this was, but um, I had an interview with uh, Bill DeVebic. Oh, here it is. Um, and we talked a lot about virtual, virtual reality. Um, and two topics that I still have yet to dig into and, and, and might find some, someone to do interviews with on these topics, but iterative design and, and generative design, um, which I'm not sure. Are you familiar with those at all? I'm not. No? <laughs> well, um, as I said, I have to dig them, dig into them more, but what I understand of iterative design is <clears throat> when um, you want a randomized design of, say, a curtain wall, and you do not want it to be uniform in any way, you can ask the design software to generate um, a random scheme and you can generate multiples of them, present them to the client, and um, you would have to then obviously produce that in a controlled environment and then put it together like, like Lego. So the, the use of uh, mo uh, modular would be really helpful for something like that. Um, but the fact that you can design something without designing something is, is truly uh, interesting. Um, and I think kind of pushing the limit. And you can also see those things up front um, in a virtual space if needs be. Generative design is um, also pushing the limit a little bit forward because of, uh, it's, it's almost like asking <laughs> um, a computer to literally design something for you. You put some parameters, like this is the, um, I don't know, the square footage of the property. Um, you tell them how many, say it's a medical office building. You say, I want these many exam rooms. I want a reception area. And it literally starts building based upon the criteria that you populate in a question and answer form. That is uh, that is so interesting. I, I, one of my strengths is learning. I, I love to learn. And that is, uh, I, would, I, would, I would look forward to that podcast. All right, I'll tell you no which number it is. It's number 25. <laughs> All right. Seven cutting-edge tech tools that are disrupting design. <laughs> so Excellent. take a listen to that one. Um, so that's great. I, I like the approach. It's, um, it's, it's, it's not super high risk, but you guys take it on as you see necessary and... Uh, you're appreciative of the things that are disrupting the industry from a technology standpoint. I, I do want to transition um, over to your your position over at the Association of General Contractors. You are wrapping up your tenure there as president. I am for the state of Georgia, the Georgia for the chapter. State of Georgia. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about. Um, your experience over the past year. 
Well, it has been a very interesting ride. I can tell you that I have gained an appreciation for the people that are in our industry uh, in a way that I, I would not have uh, been able to uh, gain otherwise. Uh, I'm so proud of the, uh, the industry that we work in. We, we, we truly work in an industry where people, people get things done. In a world today where people talk about getting things done uh, more than they actually do things, our industry actually produces something every day, and that makes me very proud. And so uh, I feel proud to be a part of an organization that supports the industry. In Georgia, we have worked on really two two initiatives this year. And you're right, my tenure uh, as president is concluding here in one month, actually. In fact, today we have our last board meeting, but uh, and I'll update the group on on kind of where we've come over the course of this year. We, but one initiative was uh, workforce development. We mentioned earlier that there are more people leaving our industry than are coming into our industry, and and uh, and we as an industry have not done a good job of telling the story about the gratifying career that exists in construction. And many of our high schools have dropped. The, um, you know, the old shop class where we used to get introduced uh, to construction in some form. So, so we challenged our membership in Georgia to re-engage with high schools and tell the story about an exciting career in construction. And our company has adopted three high schools, uh, and, and, <clears throat> and that entails uh, helping the the teachers, obviously those are schools that have construction uh, programs and, and we're helping those teachers to teach their class, to build their materials. I would challenge everyone to listen to this podcast uh, that is in the construction business. I would tell you that you, you, you put more materials in a dumpster and, and, and throw them away than a school could use uh, in the course of a year and they are strapped for materials to teach with. So, so grab a dumpster and put it on your job site and tell your trade contractors to uh, put their excess materials that they're going to throw away and, and, then, and then assign someone to cull through that and take it to a local school because they'll appreciate it and it's a way to tell a good story of construction. So, uh, so we're helping teach, teaches, teach, uh, teach classes and we're offering building materials and we're offering field trips and um, and we're just in competitions. We have several of our members that have created competitions between schools and the trades of carpentry and masonry and electrical work. And, and so I'm, I'm really proud of what our membership have done to tell uh, the story and to get uh, young people uh, engaged in our, uh, in our business. So that's, that's one initiative. Uh, the second initiative, uh, at least that I put on the table, was to to open a real meaningful dialogue about diversity and inclusion in our construction industry, and and that means uh, that means uh, opening the door to include more people of color and gender, uh, uh, as opposed to uh, the way we have all been. I mean, traditionally, our our industry has been made up of white men, and that's just a fact, and so. That's uh, that's not good, and so I think we, I think we needed to talk about that. And in Georgia, we created a diversity and inclusion uh, uh, task force, a committee, if you will. 
and we spent a lot of times talk, talk, talking about uh, gender and, and color and uh, people of different nationalities and the contributions that they can make to our industry. And, and we, we, we know there's, there's, really, uh, there's really three, three cases that can be made uh, for diversity and inclusion in the construction industry. One is a human or societal case. I mean, everybody should be treated with respect and dignity and given equal opportunity. And I think our country is, has made a lot of advancements over time in that, in that arena. Uh, there's an industry case to be made. Uh, we need more people in our industry, uh, people with diverse ideas. Um, uh, Brett Darnell has said, and I agree, that diverse Diversity in people leads to diversity in thought, which normally leads to a better solution than you would have had otherwise. And so there's an industry case to be made. We need more people. And then there's a business case to be made. You know, people do business with people that they know and they like and they trust. And in many cases, people do business with people that look and act like they do. And, and today, our industry, it used to be, when I first entered the industry, most of the work was... was um, most of the work was procured through a bid process. And if you were a low bidder, you got the job and then you just duped it out to the end. Today, it's more of a qualification-based presentation approach to, to getting work. And we have found, and I think we're no different than anybody else in the country, the people that we are presenting ourselves to, um, they're made up of people of all kinds of races and colors and genders. I mean, there are women leading uh, big uh, business uh, who need buildings, and there are Indians and Asians and African Americans, and so you know the business case is that if if you believe that people do business with people who who kind of look like them and act like them, and you walk in the room and you don't look anything like the people you're trying to uh, to to convince to hire you, then the business case says that you need to look more like the people you're trying to do business with. So. There's every reason in the world to advance the discussion of diversity and inclusion in our industry, and so I think we've done that in Georgia uh, uh, at least this year. But we've got a lot of room, a lot of room for improvement, not only in Georgia but uh, across our entire industry. So those are the two initiatives that we've worked on this year, and, and I'm proud of of, uh, of AGC Georgia for the work that they've done on these fronts. I think you've taken a, a, a bold step to start that discussion. Um, <laughs> I like that you laid out the three cases. Um, and, you know, just merely because I, I fit into, I guess, if you want to call it three buckets, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a... I'm a daughter of immigrants. <laughs> um, I, I fall into the minority um, category. Um, I'm also a woman. And then I just happen to be a millennial. <laughs> um, and, and understanding these, these business cases, well, just the, the business case, the industry, we just need more people in the industry, um, and societal. I think that that allows for us to have really three good points of discussion. Um, I'd be curious as to what what you guys have been able to, to do thus far to build awareness 
um, and to have these discussions thus far within AGC. So we, our, our committee, which was a very diverse committee, uh, spent the first part of uh, the year just talking about the, the, the differences in, uh, in, in culture and why, why there are differences and why people don't see people as people. They see people in, in silos or categories. And we spent a lot of time just trying to understand. Uh, and this past Friday, we held a diversity and inclusion summit, if you will. Brent Darnell, by the way, was our moderator, and he did a fabulous job uh, uh, walking us through some of those lessons that we had, that we had surfaced. Uh, and then we ended with a two-hour panel discussion. Um, uh, the AGC of Georgia videotaped it, and so they're, they're now editing that video and going to carve it up and, and, uh, and try to distribute it uh, in an effort to raise that awareness. So, uh, yeah, it's a topic that, uh, you know, especially in today's political climate, is, you know, this may not be the, in some cases, some people would say, well, this is an awkward time to be raising this, uh, you know, as a discussion point, but I think it's very important. Uh, I think it'll help our our industry, and so uh, we're going to continue the conversation, uh, hopefully, uh, long after uh, my time as, as president of AGC Georgia, because I think it's important, and I think our our industry believes it's important. I'd be really interested in getting my hands on that that panel discussion, the the video. Um, so please let the listeners know where, where that, if you know now, where that might be available for them to, to access. I tell you, if uh, I don't know where they're going to hope where they're going to house it, I, I yeah. know that there will be a link on the AGC Georgia website. So if you just Google AGC Georgia, AGC stands for Associated General Contractors, uh, and we are the Georgia chapter, uh, and that's very easily found through Google. Uh, I suppose it'll be another 30 days or so before they, uh, before they have that edited and posted. But uh, if you'll look on the website there, I'm, I'm quite certain you'll be able to find the link to the diversity and inclusion panel discussion. Very good. I was very, I was proud to, uh, to be a part of it. Uh, were you on the panel at all, or how? Yeah, you know, I was on the, I was on the panel. I, I, uh, I asked him why am I. Why am I on the panel? And they said, because, you know, you can't be diverse if you don't include everybody. And so I was the, I was the, I was the one representing the old white guys, I guess. <laughs> uh, but we had, a, you know, we had a, an Indian project manager, female, and we had an African American pre-construction uh, services manager, uh, female African American. We had two business leaders that were African American. And Brent took us to some places that I, I really was hoping that he would take us to, and, and so a lot of uh, a lot of stuff came out that I think needed to come out. I, I was very proud of it. Uh, what would you say was the most uncomfortable subject? Oh, that uh, well, that's an that's an interesting question. You know, we have uh, um, you know we have some in the room that believe that. You know, they pass that mark where they, they don't have any bias. They just see people as people. And and uh, and so some in the room pointed out that, you know, everybody has biases. Everybody has biases. I mean, you are a product of, of 
of your parents' teaching uh, and the environment that you grew up in, which is not all always the truth in the way it should be, by the way. And so to say that you don't have any biases, um, uh, you know, there were there were there were a couple of points, a couple of times where people pointed out that you're just not you're just not living in the real world if you believe that you don't have any biases. And uh, and those are those are tough conversations to you know to watch play out, but but you need to play play them out. And I thought that did a masterful job of navigating through those discussions. Um, yeah, I, I can see him doing well with that. Just given that you know his awareness, his emotional intelligence awareness uh, allows that conversation to uh, to be respectful but open. Um, yeah, I. I love it. I love it. And I'm so happy that in Georgia that is taking place. Um, that's inspiring, actually. Um, and, and I think it can happen in, it can happen anywhere where we just go ahead and, and, and start talking about it, start pushing the initiative to just build awareness and talk more about it um, and, and take those actions to, to collaborate. Right, <laughs> it, it's it's just that simple. Um, collaborate, understand that each person has a voice. They have a different skill set. They have value within them, <clears throat> and and that's something that I hope that I'm getting across with with uh, my podcast in general. Um, that there really is no difference um, in from person to person. It really is the personality type. It is, yes, your background and, and how you grew up and you know your perspective. Yeah, your perspective is going to be different. But um, we learn the same things in school. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's just that simple. And the more people you get involved who are eager to contribute uh, and push projects forward, and have the focus on the project, uh, that, I don't know, I'm, I'm developing a, I'm developing my perspective on it, if you will. Um, and and that's, what I, that's what I've come to thus far. If you focus on the project and know that everybody who has that desire and intention to contribute that's involved will, will make the best of it, um, creating that environment of Positivity and, and genuine care, um, all simultaneously, that that will allow this industry to really push forward, and that happens at all levels, of all companies, whether it's the owner, whether it's the owner's rep, the designer, and the general contractor, any of the tradesmen, it it happens at all levels. I don't know what your thoughts are on, on <laughs> my commentary. I agree. I agree. I think you're uh, you're you're providing a voice for for folks to get that out, uh, and you're doing a great job of that. And I think uh, in your own way, you're providing a, a huge service to our industry. And I, I I'm really appreciative that you let me uh, speak uh, uh, on behalf of the industry and and on behalf of uh, of, of our company, Bats and Cook. No, I, I appreciate your um, your contribution. 
and, and I'm sure that our listeners do too. So I, I do want to ask you, um, do you have any parting words for us? Um, any advice for the listeners? Uh, it would be the same advice that, uh, uh, that I gave a while ago to the millennials, I guess. Uh, stay hungry. searching for um, for the best solution and um, those solutions are not necessarily the way they were uh, 10 20 30 years ago so keep looking for the better solution it's a great industry that we work in I mean I uh, I, I, I get gratification in ways that I know people friends of mine that work in other industries just don't have the ability to get and so stay hungry I love it. <laughs> um, so, Randy, please tell the audience if there's a way to learn more about you, what means they should research you or get in touch with you. Well, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm active on social media, uh, more from perspective of learning than, than maybe contributing, but I, uh, I have a LinkedIn profile uh, to Randy Hall, uh, that's in Cook Construction, and I have a, a, a Twitter page is, or, or a Twitter account, as we talked about earlier, but I, I share things that are futuristic things, things that interest me with respect to technology. But, uh, I'd love to connect up uh, through uh, LinkedIn as well, uh, or Twitter as well. Of course, we have a website, Bats and Cook does, Bats and Cook uh, Construction. If you Google, it's www.batson-cook.com uh, is our website. Awesome. Well, thank you, Randy. I really enjoyed this time um, talking with you. Very good. Good to meet you as well, Brittany. If you liked this podcast, don't forget to subscribe at Constructor.com to get email updates from me about upcoming action guides from previous podcasts. You can also subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And with that, bye for now. I'll talk with you guys next week.